Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. So just a heads up, everybody, in the episode, we talk about this show that's coming up for them, for Wasteland Hop, and it actually just happened this last weekend. It's been a little while. It's taken me a bit of time to get this episode out. I've actually got seven more episodes recorded with different people uh, that are going to be coming out soon, but I got super busy right after we recorded this and haven't had time to produce it which is a good problem and it's also a challenge of how am I going to make this podcast work when I'm also getting super busy with making art and murals and projects. So I've actually hired a good friend of mine, Brad, to start editing these podcasts. So he'll be editing and producing from now on, which is awesome. And I'll be focusing on the recording element. So that's great moving forward. But just to report, this uh, this show that happened, Wasteland Hop opening for the Burroughs and the Flowbots in Fort Collins, Colorado at the Mishawaka Amphitheater went awesomely well. And it was a total blast. Nick crushed it. The whole band crushed it. Everybody had a blast. I made a live painting. I flew in from San Diego to Denver and got to make a live painting during the whole thing. And People really into it. It was it was great. It was really cool. You can check it out on my Instagram, uh, my story, and I've also posted uh, the time lapse and the final painting on uh, my wall. So that's it. That's the update. 
Cheers. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and I'm here with a very good friend of mine. This gentleman, we've been on some adventures together in the great wild north. He, uh, he's been on some really amazing stages. He's on an adventure of a lifetime with uh, a sweet little family he's got going. And this guy's just fucking awesome. So let me just say, Nick Shides, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. <laughs> and it's great because you listen to the podcast all the time, which is really fun, um, you know, to have you on here. And like, you, you know, the flow, you're, you're in it. That's right. I've been listening since uh, since sometime about last summer or so. And I was listening because some friends of mine were on and because I was just interested in it. But I love I love your podcast. It has a different vibe than other ones I listen to. It just feels like I'm hanging out with some really wise people and getting to to gain their insights. So I really enjoy I really enjoy listening to it. Dude, I feel the same way. <laughs> I get to hang out with all these wise people. And I'm just soaking it up. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, sweet. All right. Well, why don't you? Why don't we get started by uh, you telling us who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you're at, and what it is you do. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a mouthful. Um, I'm Nick Shides. I I'm from Longmont, Colorado, originally. Uh, my uh, let me see <laughs> where to begin. Um, you know, I just, uh, I've always loved uh, creativity. I, I loved, uh, you know, my mom would play guitar for me. I remember sitting on the bed with her and she would play me some covers of some John Dever songs on her acoustic guitar, or she'd play me some songs she'd written. And my dad was a big music lover. And so he would put on records and I'd get to listen to a bunch of great classic rock and 80s music and stuff. And uh, you know, I've loved books and writing and drawing and basically uh, anything that was creative. I've always loved since a kid. I think most kids love playing and being creative. Um, so, yeah, so grew up in Colorado, um, went to school at CSU. Um, that's where I met Stephanie, um, who uh, who's uh, the singer in Wasteland Hop, which is a band that I'm in that, uh, you know, um, that's how we know one another. And I'm kind of going all over the place here, um, telling my life story. Uh, shoot. What else do you do? <laughs> yeah, so um... <laughs> you're a graphic designer too, right? I, I do graphic design. I do. Uh... You know, like I said, I had that love for drawing as a kid. So I think that the tools like Photoshop and Illustrator are such amazing uh, means of expression. I don't just, I play guitar, um, I play piano, I, I write songs, um, but I also do music recording and music production. So Ableton is my tool of choice there. And I just, I think there's nothing too much more fun than, than adding layers of sound on top of one another and, and seeing what you can create um, I joined a, a band in 2011 uh, with Stephanie and with Mickey and Brian and Adam, who you've all interviewed, um, with Liz, uh, who's the violinist, and then Chad, who's a guitarist. Um, and that's how I got to know you. You know, uh, 
I remember playing, practicing in, in Adam's basement and we, uh, he sold me some, some skis of yours and I heard about some artist named Taylor. And then we went on our first tour uh, to Alaska in 2012. And I thought it was all pretty wild because I remember when Mickey said, hey, let's go on a tour to Alaska. I said, sure, when pigs fly, we'll go and play shows up in Alaska. But he made it happen. And then I don't know if it was Adam or Mickey, but somebody brought you up along and you play, you did live art with our music. And it was just an amazing, I think it was 10 days, two weekends. We went all over the state. Um, you sold a painting pretty much every single night. And um, and we just had a blast. And, you know, there's no better way to bond with people than going, making art, showing up in a different town every night. Um, and so doing that with uh, everyone in that band and with you is just a great joy. And, um, you know, something that I'll just always cherish thinking back on that. And, and it's still going on. Um, that was a serendipity tour. That was the serendipity. Tour. That was where, like nothing could go wrong. We were just like, in on cloud nine the entire time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And and all of it has <laughs> honestly, every tour has been super fun. And uh, and yeah, so, um, you know, I've in the last five years, I've delved more into the graphic design world and more into more music production, home studio stuff. I've got a nice little home studio here. I've got a lot of microphones and instruments and I just love nothing more than carving out some time to to put down some tracks and see what I can create so still an avid music creator um, I had uh, decided in my late 20s it was time to get a full-time job so I did that uh, for the last five years or so I worked at a great tech startup based out of Boulder Colorado called Jump Cloud and great employer, great time. I got to do lots of creative things in the professional world too. Um, though when you're doing creative work in the professional world, it's kind of a different beast. It's not as much about the purest expression of your soul, um, but it is the purest expression of your checking account. So that's nice. Um, <laughs> and then uh, as of a couple months ago, I made a really big decision. Um, I decided to quit my job and to be a full-time dad. So I'm taking care of my two sons, Paxton, who's about 20 months now, and Finley, who's just two months old, two and a half months old. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm here kind of changing my life trajectory and really focused on the home and how I can make that a beautiful experience and take care of the, the family and um, really enjoying that and kind of finding my footing with that. It's just been a month or so since I left my employer. And, um, and I also think that's opening up some more space in my head and in my life for art and music and, uh, you know, visual design and, and everything else that I love to do creatively. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, that sounds like a really big leap. Are you like, you're, you're good to go. You're, you're dialed in with, I mean, when you say that it was really good for your checkbook and then you stop doing that, you're, you're, you're covered. You're good. <laughs> uh, well, you know, my wife's working so, and, she, and she's in the medical field. So that's a pretty good career path that she's on. I will say society, it's very skeptical of a man quitting his job to uh, work still, even in these, um, you know, we're a long ways away from the 1950s, but uh, societal norms die hard. Um, 
But I had an example in my father. He was a computer programmer. He worked for storage tech in Louisville, Colorado, around where you grew up. Yep. And um, in the early 90s, he decided to quit his job in order to take care of me and my two sisters. And my mom was also in medicine. She's a dentist and she's going to retire in a year now. She's been saying that for about five years. But um, I'm kind of following my dad's footsteps, which makes it, I think, a little bit easier for me to do. And it's certainly something we've thought about for a long time. When I took the job at JumpCloud, I'd been a freelancer and a, and a small business owner and a musician full time. And I, it was a big change for me to go into full time employment. And I thought, this is exciting. I'm going to get to really have these 40 hours dedicated to see what I can achieve. And I really, you know, I was tasked with using my creative powers there. I did, I did writing, I did graphic design, I did some pretty creative work and also some very non-creative, more logistical work, more organizational work, you know, what, what you would expect in a business environment. And, um, and I really enjoyed it, but I thought I might just do it for a year or two. I did it for five years and we were, you know, saving. We tried to be cognizant the whole time and we were able to buy a house in that time. Uh, I was able to invest in some musical equipment that I'm happy to use now during that time. And uh, we have a plan. We're certainly not going to be getting as far ahead financially as we would be if I kept working and maybe we put the kids into daycare. But these first couple years of their life are so important. It's when children are coming up with the very basics of, of who, what they understand the world to be and what they understand themselves to be. So we just kind of talked about it and we decided that was, not everyone's in a position to do this, but we were in a position to put that first. And so we decided to take that opportunity and it's a, it is a big leap. It is a big change to think about, you know, we define ourselves in terms of what value we're bringing to society. And right now, the biggest value I'm bringing to society is helping to create these healthy, happy, helpful human beings, or at least I hope so. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a big, it's a lot to wrap my head around. And a month in, I think I'm starting to really, it's starting to feel natural to me instead of like, you know, why am I not spending six hours in my inbox today, uh, which is maybe what I thought the first week away from my job. Dude. Oh, I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool. And you can, I mean, the cool thing is you're so qualified and capable. I mean, like you said, not everybody's in the position to do what you can do. And also not everyone's in the position to like jump back into it. If, if you needed, if you needed to get a job tomorrow, you, you probably could. And, and also like, I mean, give yourself the creative freedom to let your mind just go and not only let your mind go, but let your mind interact with children all day long and then like start operating on that wavelength even more. Like you put, you couple like a, a child's mindset with like an adult, like you's background and understanding of the world. And like, I feel like that's how inventions are made. Like I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to throw this out there. I wouldn't be a surprise if you'd come up with some crazy invention in the next two years, you know, that ends up being like, that floats the boat for, boat for the rest of your life or like, whatever. But that's where, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can go wrong there. And if you are in the wrong path, you're going to know it and then you can switch gears. So I think it's awesome. 
there's a way in which really li little kids are like little gurus because they don't have any of the preconceptions that we get. They don't get what we learned in school or, you know, all of our baggage. They're pretty much baggage free. Yeah. What's that? They're not caught up in all the bullshit. Of They're not caught up in that. Yes. So, um, so it's really, it is cool to be able to get on their wavelength. And, you know, I've been working from home for the last year with COVID and I would find when I was interacting with my son and I was trying to get something done at work, it would be frustrating for me. It would be frustrating for him. My work would suffer. My engagement with my kid would suffer. And then when I'm interacting with him and it's just, I've got nothing to do, nowhere to be, but I'm just going to be present with him. And he takes me on little journeys through his childlike mind. And we end up playing the most ridiculous simple games that you could ever think of like um you know putting things in boxes and taking them out of boxes or if he puts his foot up against this mesh and i poke it and make a beeping noise that's hilarious that is that is the comedy of uh <laughs> that's great comedy so so yeah so i think you're on to something i will let you know when the million dollar idea comes from it but i'm just going to enjoy the ride and, and be present with them and let them be my little gurus <laughs> Tiny gurus. I like that. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, okay. So one thing that I would describe you as is a songwriter. And it's cool to hear that your mom would write songs and your dad was into music too. And it's, it's neat because like, as soon as I met you, you know, you were writing songs for Wasteland Hop with Wasteland Hop with Steph before you guys were in Wasteland Hop. Like, I, I wanted, there, you guys showed us one video that you and Steph made of some song that was like one of the sweetest songs I've ever heard. It was so nice. And uh, I don't know, why don't you talk a little bit about songwriting? Yeah, I'm trying to think what that might have been taking care of your bones video or it might totally. Yep, that's the one. Um, but uh, yeah, so my mom did write a few songs in the 70s. And it was in this time in her life when she was young, early 20s, I think, and about to go into dental school or, or all that. And she just had this kind of window in time where the muse was coming to her. And then I think life happened. You know, she had kids. She got she became a dentist um, and it became a smaller part of her life. So she wrote a handful of songs, but I listen to them now and they're still really good. I think they're they're great and and yeah my dad was uh, not a musician but well he played I think trombone in high school um, but he was just an omnivore lover of music so throughout my life from when I was a little kid and he would play Weird Al Yankovic's Got a Boogie and it was about how you got a boogie on your finger and you can't shake it off um, <laughs> and I would dance with him to that and we would listen to you know whatever but he just kept buying CDs in the 90s he was buying CDs and the 2000s he was buying CDs and and he would introduce me to music. Like I remember in high school, he bought uh, Modest Mouse's Good News for People Who Love Bad News. Wow. And I would steal that CD and take it upstairs and listen to it on my CD player in high school. So, and I love that album, I still do. Um, so he just introduced me to all these genres and all these types of music and he never stopped discovering music. My mom loves music too, but I think she gave me more um, the songwriting side. And, um, you know, since I was a little kid, I would write poems or I would write, I would, I would, I would write words a lot. I wasn't interested in music until I became a high schooler. And, um, 
my friends, Josh and Jared had been basically my best friends since middle school. And uh, one day in high school, they're sophomores or juniors. They said, hey, we're starting to take music lessons. I'm taking guitar and I'm taking drums. Well, I thought that's really, um, that's great, but you're going to quit. Uh, everybody who tries to learn to be a musician ends up just kind of, you know, quitting after a while. I don't know why that was my mindset, but that's what I thought would happen. And they kept at it for a while, at least. And um, I was hanging out with them on New Year's Eve. And Josh taught me how to play Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes on guitar, just the simplest, easiest riff there is. I was like, holy cow, in an hour, I could learn how to play a riff from this band that I think is cool from the song that, that I like. And then he taught me an AFI song riff. And then I was just hooked. Oh, so, which song? <laughs> uh, I, oh, shoot. I always want to say the Nephilim, but that's a different song. Um, but I don't remember the name of the AFI song. I think I remember how to play the riff because muscle memory sometimes is a bit more reliable <laughs> than than uh, than than mental memory. Uh, AFI was great. If if listeners have not ever heard any AFI and you want to get in, you want to dive into the darkness of your soul get into some AFI. <laughs> it was perfect for 15 year old me that is for sure yeah i was 25 so into, year old or whatever i was 23 year old I, me. I was so into sing the sorrow and uh shoot the what was that other album there's i loved but i listened to a lot of afi a lot of screaming you know a lot of angst um but some really good songs it's so melodic and, there's so much like melody in a lot of that genre of music that I think is like people don't see or feel it at first glance right it's man I should listen to it it's been it's been years probably since I've sat down and listened to an AFI album but um but yeah so so he you know Josh really kind of lit this lit this lamp for me that I I, I was getting to the point where I loved music but I had never thought that I would be a musician and he just lit this fire into me I went back home and um, my mom had her guitar. So, you know, if I hadn't had a guitar in the house, I might never have taken the next step. I wasn't motivated enough to go out and spend a hundred bucks. Um, and I probably didn't have a hundred bucks, but I was motivated enough to ask my mom where her guitar was kept. And then I looked online, I think it was Ultimate Guitar and was able to find tabs. And I remember like, let's play the Simpsons theme. Let's play the Tetris theme. And I just, I think Josh taught me how to read tabs. And once you know how to read tabs, you can, you have the tools to learn any song in the world, thanks to the internet. Uh, now it's even better with YouTube and all the visual ways you can be taught. Um, so I basically just started down this self-learning rabbit hole. I remember at the beginning, my goal was just, if I could just play a song front to back, that would be like a dream come true. That was my first goal. And I, I was able to do that. And that was probably my junior year of high school and I just kept at it. Um, I think that as soon as I started playing, I kind of started writing because what would happen would be, I would be trying to play something else and I would make a mistake, but I would think that mistake sounded kind of interesting. And so I would keep playing that mistake and I would start to discover little things. Um, so it was really a result of my clumsiness, I think. And um, probably most of the things I've achieved in my life are <laughs> correlated there. Um, but anyway, so I, I don't remember what the first song I wrote was, but um, the next year I started 
Josh and Jared and I and our friend Jed uh, started a band and we would write songs. Josh would come up with the riff or I would come up with the song. I would just sit in my room. I got an electric guitar and an amp because, you know, I was going to keep playing my mom's nylon string guitar forever. Um, and I started writing these terrible songs that um, were really complex and I guess kind of interesting, definitely inspired by the likes of AFI and System of a Down and Green Day and uh, yeah, a million other bands that I would listen to. Most of it was pretty heavy. It was, you know, electric guitars, distorted as we could possibly make it, turn it all up as loud as we can, put as many beats and notes in there as possible. So we did that. And then, um, and then I think in college, I started to find a bit more voice outside of punk rock as a songwriter, but then it was more goofy songs. I wrote a song uh, insulting Tom Brady. I wrote a song about somebody getting pulled over for drunk driving. Um, I got a I wrote I wrote these goofy songs for my college buddies, and it was just I didn't have anything meaningful or deep to say. Um, so I just kind of, I just was, all I could be was goofy and silly and surface level. So I wrote some really fun kind of, and then I was going more to acoustic guitar and um, my friends, some other friends from high school, David and William had taught me a little bit of how to use music software. And so I was starting to add synths and programming music. And um, that was really a whole new world. And so I just kind of kept making, I mean, I probably wrote, 50 plus things between high school and college and they all were terrible in their own special ways but they each were kind of new forays and I, I looked I listened back to some of that stuff in anticipation of this conversation and um, you know there's something I like about it too there's something I'm like oh I'm missing I'm missing that in my my current work because it was so fresh and it had this edge um, but, uh, you know, I, I took some creative writing classes in college. I took a poetry class and I used some of what I learned and some of the poems and some songs. And I started writing some deeper stuff. I met Stephanie in college and we, uh, through a friend of ours, Travis, and we started a band and played a couple shows and played some open mics. And the, I remember the first time I met Steph in a dorm and we were going to play some music with Travis and first time I heard her voice I was like I went from yeah I'm scoping this situation out you know maybe I'll play some music with them but I've got bigger fish to fry I heard Stephanie saying I was like okay I am going to think of the best riff I've ever written right now and offer it up to her because she's the best singer I've ever met um and she was a great songwriter too and so um you know but still it was just a hobby for me and and then after I graduated from college, By the way, everybody, this is Steph J from uh, episode number 26. So that's right. That's to her. That's, uh, you can you can listen back to her and, and hear her wonderful insight. She's one of my best friends still. So that was, uh, you know, who knows how many years ago that was 12, 12 plus years ago. And uh, we're still going strong and still making music together. So it's it's been a very uh, joyful relationship and um anyway so she kind of too i think that stephanie helped me to think of to think it was possible to be a musician i talked about when josh and jared started taking lessons and i was so skeptical of it well stephanie told me after college i asked her hey what are you going to do 
And, you know, what's your job going to be was the subtext of that question. And she said, well, I'm going to do music. And I thought, you're not allowed to say that. That's not one of the options. You can't just... <laughs> <laughs> but, but then I thought about it. And I, well, she has the talent to do it, you know. And, um, and I, that's when I kind of thought, well, okay, let me let go of all my preconceived ideas of what a career is or what a, how you can actually make a living. And, um, and if I could do anything I wanted, I, I realized I would love to be a music producer. That's what I wish I could do is just record and, and write and produce, you know, my songs, other people's songs. And that's still uh, kind of my dream and mission in life. And, but I'm doing it, you know, I get to produce music every day and I, I don't quite fit it in every single day um, as, a, as a father of two kids under two, but I sure do uh, with my free time, I sure get a lot of music production. Okay, well, time out, Nick. Do. Time out. Yeah. Is is anyone else? Are any of the listeners feeling an opportunity in this situation? We got Nick taking a break from his job, uh, and then having all this free time to be creative and fun. And then there's the music. Okay, okay. Go continue, Nick. Go ahead. Keep continue. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm diving in for sure. I'm looking forward to what this this year could bring in terms of my artistic development. I'll say working in, I was working in marketing for a tech startup and that used a lot of my creative energy. I was doing a lot of reading and writing and creation. And like I said, graphic design and, and video production. Well, that's all using a lot of the same, like, let's say we all start a hundred at the beginning of the day, we have a hundred creative points. Um, I was using probably 50 or 80 of my creative points a day. Um, doing things for my employer, which is what I was getting paid to do. And so I'd have a little bit left over. Um, you know, if anything, watching the kids, it feels like I'm not having to use creative points. Sometimes I, you know, I get pretty serious with the Legos and the connects and stuff. And so I do have to expend a few points there. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it feels like they recharge me too. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I've got a lot of new mental capacity to devote to, to this whole creative world and to art itself. Hell yeah. And so um, it's fun. So I did a little dive into Ableton hmm. in like November. I took, uh, I did a, a 90 day course with a friend of mine and I didn't make it all the way through the 90 days. He was leading me through it, but it was so cool. Probably made it like 60 or 70 days into their free trial and just learn every week I was making a new song, new track and um, learning about just the ways it goes and then the layering and then um, it's so cool because the farther I got into it, the more it became this like other dimension of reality. And then the layers of the tracks, and then you've got like, you know, he was showing me how to organize them where you've got like the bass tracks here and then the melodies and the different sounds that like, um, and you create these layers upon layers. And why don't you geek out on Ableton for a second? Oh man, I would love to. It is a, uh... There are a few things that I love more than just getting into a flow state in Ableton. It's it's definitely a very challenging piece of software to learn, but as but as you learn it, it becomes incredibly fluid and natural and like an extension of yourself. Sound is um, there's an amazing book called Zen and the Art of Mixing um, by someone named Mixerman, and it he talks about the concept of sound as space. So you know, usually you think of space as more the visual artist realm, but low frequency sounds seem like they're coming from lower to us. 
and high frequency sounds seem like they're coming higher up. You can also create a sound that sounds really close. So you can do that by performing or singing or playing guitar really near to a microphone. And it's almost like, I mean, I could probably do it right now. I can just feel like I'm really close to you. Um, I don't know if that came through or not. I think but it worked. Point, what's that? I think it worked. Okay, good. Um, and then you can make stuff sound far away and you can do that by making it quieter or you can put reverb on it or you can just literally record far away from your microphone. And basically uh, when you're putting together a song, when you're arranging it, when you're mixing it, when you're recording it, you are kind of building a spatial, uh, uh, a spatial entity and, um, and making one that's balanced. There's also panning left to right is another big one, right? So you're listening on headphones, you can hear from the left side, one thing you can hear from the right thing, something else. And so you basically have this sonic space to work with. And Ableton is an amazing tool to manipulate that, you know, add a million different effects, take a million different synthesizers or, you know, grand pianos or cellos. And, um, and it can just be so incredible to see uh, what can happen when you, you loop one part and then you add something to that part, grab a different instrument, grab a different synthesizer and start adding to it. Um, and it is this, it is this incredibly free sandbox to make whatever you want. That's really cool you did that. I didn't know that you started learning Ableton. It was so much fun. And it was really cool because my buddy Dave, he's a music producer and uh, he's put out albums and whatnot. And the interface between me as an artist learning a new genre that he is an expert in, he's been working with it for like 11 years. And you know, that's his, that's his extension of, of his artistry. And so then I'd be talking and he'd be explaining something and I'd be like, oh, okay. So it's kind of like a composition on the canvas, how you want to balance things out over here on the left and the right. And he's talking about the, you know, sonic balance between the left and the right, or like the frequencies. I mean, it's neat to think about frequencies, like you said, low and high, but then also frequencies of light are that same way. So like a low frequency of light is in the red spectrum, high frequencies in like the violet. And there's the whole um, spectrum through the, all the colors, Roy G. Biv. And you've got, so it's like, it's different words. It's different, um, like a reality, like, you know, it's different versions of reality brought to life in different ways, but it's the same concepts. So it's, it's just so cool. I, I definitely, I would have kept going, but as I was going, the lesson that I learned from it is that whatever I put my time and energy into, I'm going to grow. And it just depends on what I want to do that with. And I was seeing like at the beginning, I put a ton of time and energy. I would made it first on my list of what to do in the morning. And so every day at like seven o'clock, I was doing a half an hour of Ableton and then other art projects got in the way. And then I was like pushing it back further and further. And the lesson became very clear, whatever I put first in my day, whatever I put my full energy towards, that's, what's going to grow. I was like this, I need to do that with my art. And really it was like, it was this major catalyst to like really push my art, my creativity, my force in murals and canvas drawing paintings, like push it all a lot harder with, uh, with the, the lesson that I got from Ableton, from learning Ableton. That, that's cool. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase a quote from Marcus Aurelius, which is, we are what we devote our energy to. And I think when I was young, I thought, well, I have infinite energy, I have infinite time, I'm going to do everything. 
And I'm kind of glad I did because I, I am a visual artist and I, I am a writer and I am a songwriter and I am a music producer and I am a, you know, live musician and all that. But, you know, as I've had full-time employment, as I've had kids, I've had to realize that there is a limited amount of time and energy. And if you ask yourself to be everything, then you're going to be not certainly not a master of everything. Uh, so it's kind of the old jack of all trades, master of none trade-off. And so if you want to be truly great at something, you need to be focused and you're going to have to say no to things. You're going to have to let things go. Um, one of the things I did when I started working full-time, I said, you know, I don't think I really need to learn Spanish. That had been a goal of mine. That was something that I was focused on. I was listening to Spanish language podcasts. I was doing Duolingo. I was devoting my energy to that. And I think I read an article about how AI was going to make almost near instant translation possible, which is basically happening now. And I thought, okay, I'm going to let that one slide. Um, but yeah, you can't be everything. And I think that's true that if you if you were to go down the path of being a mu music producer, then that would be a little bit less oxygen, a little bit less energy in your life for your murals and your visual art and, and other things. Now, I will also say, having been a jack of all trades and, and continuing to do that, I'm, I'm not going to stop doing that. I still want to draw, even though I don't have any aspirations of being a, an, an artist professionally. And I do find that they all inform one another. Um, there are overlapping, it's like a giant Venn diagram of every single art form, you know, dance and music have a huge amount of overlap. And yet that doesn't make me a good dancer, unfortunately. Um, and, and music and poetry have a huge overlap and poetry and fiction writing have a huge overlap. And, you know, all of those in painting have an overlap and there is so much to be learned. And I do think that um, having a competency in many different visual arts and many different ways of being creative, not visual arts, many different arts and many different ways of being creative um, can really inform and make you better at what you are specialized in. Um, so, so I'm glad you did that. And I wonder, uh, I, uh, one last thing I'll say before I wrap up on that. I, this is just a quote I read on the internet that I think is so cool. Um, you know, you're talking about the spatial composition similarities between between your paintings maybe and a song, but a song progresses through time. It's almost like, it's, uh, it's like a film where it, 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 it exists in the moment, but then it exists over time. And um, there's a, the quote is that a work of art, a painting decorates a place and that music can decorate time. And I've always loved that idea that music decorates time but something like a podcast also decorates time. So when I'm listening to you, you know, I was up, uh, I was up watching my kids go and walking around, uh, you know, out in nature this weekend. And I was listening to you and the conversation with, uh, I forget his name already, but the fellow who, who makes mead, I had downloaded it. And so you and his uh, beautiful, you know, inspiring thoughts about Burning Man and about the meaning of life and art and all that was decorating my little walk through the forest with my sons. So um, so I love how audio, I love that power. And I think that's why it's what I'm specializing in still. I just love the power that audio has that you can put it on and listen to it. And somebody might be listening to this doing the dishes or they might be going for a, a run or they might be driving to work. Um, 
And it's, you can't have a painting and just put it on your commute in the passenger seat next to you while you're driving to work and be like, wow, this is enriching my, you know, you, <laughs> totally. you might do that, but yeah. I don't do that. <laughs> but you can put a podcast on and it makes that, that drive, that commute into something totally enriching and fulfilling to you. So I just love audio as a medium. And that's the one that I think I'm, I'm most excited about becoming a master in. Dude. Yeah, that's a really cool, uh, I don't know, like observation or statement about that. It's like really a dimension, like the, the like time, it's, it's like time is the active dimension there. And then with visual art, with a painting on the wall, it's like the two dimensional space is the active dimension. And it, it, it's really cool how the, like, different things activate different dimensions and they like and that's like your jump off point into infinity you know from a painting you can sit there and stand there and don't go anywhere and that second dimension of like you know you have length and width and that's what it sits on and then from there you can dive into all these realms of imagination and the mind and the past and the future and history and all sorts of shit and then same thing with the audio element it's like you got time space or length width and then time and that's where like that's the active thing it's almost like that's the music string that's getting hit that will like create the ripples into all sorts of wild places and every art form has its has its unique properties there i certainly i you know the example i gave of commuting audio is great at but you can hang a painting on a wall and it's there every day. You wouldn't want to have a song sitting on the wall and every time you walk past it, you hear like, oh, it's the Ramones, Blitzkrieg Bop. Okay, great, this is my hallway. Um, <laughs> but you would love to have an amazing painting there. So it's like each art form <laughs> has its, its special power. And in a way with, um, with a painting, the power is the permanence and the stillness. It's like it freezes time. And you look at the Mona Lisa or, you know, any great painting of the past and it is exactly the same as long as it's been as long as it hasn't been restored like some paintings have been uh or or kept in poor shape it's exactly the same as it was when the day the painter called it complete i mean that is this amazing power as well um so the permanence and the stillness it's like a you know that's a there's a beauty and power to that too totally and then when you think about there's different elements like, okay, recorded music is one thing, but then live music is like a whole different thing because time is this thing that's not even being, like you, you can't press play over and over again. It's like time is evaporating into nothing in a similar way that like a really awesome meal is like, it's operating on your sensory levels and then it's gone. Like you can't taste something twice. You can never have, and there's like a threshold of, like, wow, that was amazing. And even if you have the same bite again, then your threshold has already been broken. So it's a different experience with that same thing. Yeah, and with live music and with any sort of live art, I think there's a circuit that's created between the artist and the audience. So I know, uh, you know, thinking back on some of those shows we've done with you doing live painting and us up on stage, we're feeding off the audience we're they're responding to us and we're responding back and it creates uh you know that that is something special because it is this uh collaborative circuit of energy and art that we're all interacting within like a field of 
um, a field of live art. Um, so you're right. Yeah, right. It's uh, and then you can listen to a song and it is it's it's the same the way it was recorded 70 years ago by, you know, whoever. Um, so yeah, Dude, speaking of about all the modalities. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes on. Um, speaking of live shows, I mean, I love that that thought of it, it being a circuit, like the energy sort of like cycling back and forth. And I've seen there's been certain shows that I've been able to witness of you guys and, and other shows and of different musicians, but you guys, especially because I've been on the tours and I've gotten to see, you know, this show to that show to that show to that show. And on a tour, there's like 10 shows and, you know, this one was great for that, but that one was like standout, you know, where the, the conditions are perfect. It's like, it is like a circuit, you know, if the, if everything's spaced correctly and the lighting's right and the sound is good and everybody's been like tuned up properly and it's all just dialed in and like, it's like everyone becomes one thing. It's like, and everyone's just like, it is part of the same big mix of awesomeness and, and everyone's vibing. Yeah, it's, you know, I think as an artist, you always try to bring your best performance, regardless of if it's five people or 100 people, if the acoustics in the room are, are great, or if it's some terrible dive bar with the, you know, crackly speakers or whatever it is. But you, you know, it is like there are these special nights where you, I mean, we've done a lot of improvisation, oh, exactly, excuse me, improvisation stuff uh and so in that like sometimes we would take suggestions from the audience like what should the next song be about we're going to try to make this happen i know you were there for some of those shows um so that's a very direct way that they influence it did you ever have a time can you think of some time that the energy influenced your artwork i mean i guess it always probably did to some extent but would you go and talk to somebody and then change the painting that you were doing um I feel like the the locations we were at always did and literally they did that one tour where I didn't even bring a canvas I before every show I would go out and I would find some sort of a surface to paint on I'd go walk around while you guys were doing your sound check I would go and like walk the alleys and find shit and then it I would remember that. Well, I think I helped for one or two of those voyages you definitely did <laughs> and it was uh yeah that that was cool and I don't know, like the lighting would always, you know, Alaska has this wild light that happens in the summertime because the sun never goes down. And it was just like, I, I think all of it kind of influenced it and probably in similar ways as it influenced you guys and like the way that you'd, you'd play the music and I don't know, everything. Yeah. Um, I think we're ready for the, the question section. Are you feeling, are you, are you ready for this, Nick? whenever yeah okay okay now the first question is what was a breakthrough moment for you in your life and really you can kind of take that breakthrough concept any way you want like what you broke through into what it's up to you like is there a breakthrough moment that stands out to you No, it's been it's been pretty slow and steady, and there's been a lot of just kind of steady progression towards developing my art and my craft and creating this life. But one moment I think about is 
the day that I found out that my best friend and musical collaborator had died in a car accident. And, you know, it was just like uh, instant um, shock. And I kind of almost had to numb myself because it was too big for me to feel all at once. And uh, my dad drove me to the hospital when he was still alive, but brain dead. And, um, and I got to be with him and with his family a little bit. But he was somebody, you know, it was Josh, um, one of those twins who I uh, told you about. Who, he was the person who taught me how to play guitar. And then we collaborated on dozens and dozens of songs. He came with us to Alaska uh, once and, and he's helped write some Wasteland Hop songs. And, uh, you know, I think obviously extreme grief and sadness and loss, you know, um, but another thing that it made me think about was how precious life is and how nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. And as an artist, you know, Josh had done so many amazing things as a musician and yet he hadn't uh, been able to get a lot of his work to fruition he hadn't released a lot of it he hadn't finished it to the point that he was he was ready to share it and um and so that for one in the in the year after that I finished a lot of the stuff we were working on I printed it to a, a cd it was a it was a two cd album and and you contributed some of the artwork for that or I, I asked if I could put some of your artwork on the disc and you graciously allowed that. And I, I think I sent you a copy of that. But, but the, I think that it just really lit a fire under me. I had just kind of been waiting um, for the right moment for all the stars to align, for all the traffic lights to be green at once. And I realized that if I were to die today, uh, one of my biggest regrets would be not finishing as much of my art, not sharing it with the world, um, and, and not having as, not really giving life my all, you know, I think sometimes when you're young, you kind of think life's a dress rehearsal so far, I'm waiting for the real show to begin. Um, so I think when, when I lost my best friend and, and a musical soulmate of mine at, uh, 27, we were both 27, this was 20, 2016, and it's coming up on the five-year anniversary uh, just two weeks from now. And it just really lit a fire under me because when you think about, um, there's, a, there's a Latin term, memento mori, and it's to remember death. And if you think on your life as if you were gone, if you think about how you would feel if you were 90 years old and on your deathbed, um, or if you got told tomorrow that you had a terminal illness and you had six weeks to live, what, what would really matter to you? It's a powerful thought exercise because you'll think, think most people think, well, my family, my friends, my loved ones, that matters. I think if you're an artist, you'll think my art really matters because when you're an artist, you put a little bit of your soul into everything you create. And so, you know, I was in this position of, of, being a caretaker of Josh's soul after he was gone. And he had given so much of his soul to his music. And I had a lot of the raw audio files. And so I was able to put that into that album. And, um, you know, after not releasing 
any music outside of the band for probably five, 10 years. Uh, the year after he died, I released that album with, you know, 40 plus songs, uh, probably over two hours of music. And that was a really powerful way for me to transmute this incredible grief and loss that I was feeling into something at least. After he died, every day I woke up and that was the biggest thing in my life was the fact that Josh had died. And um, so suddenly and so senselessly, um, and he, you know, the truth is that he had uh, been drinking and driving and he was somebody who was working towards not drinking so much, but he had some really bad habits with drinking. And the problem is once you start drinking, your inhibition going down and down and down. So it's easy to get to a point where you make some really bad decisions. And while I thought he was on a really good path, you know, he made some bad decisions that day and got in a fatal single car accident. So um, I think what I'm getting at is just that that really, that for one, it, it took me, made me think to take life a little bit more seriously. Cause I think you can think, well, it'll never happen to me or I've seen these people roll the dice and they're fine, but you roll the dice enough times and eventually you might get snake eyes. Um, but also, think about what really matters to you and think about what's going to matter after you're gone because it's that's a way to think about what's most important and so for me it's it's family and and my art and then also work in the world you know I want to I want to make the world a better place as well so those are kind of my three big priorities I guess and while I was on the path and I, I think I could have told you that rationally um I, there's a difference between knowing something with your brain and knowing something with your heart. And I think that uh, when I lost my best friend, um, that was when I realized our all, all of our mortality and also how, how precious every breath is and how, how, uh, how important it is to live every day to the fullest because you really have no guarantees uh, in life. Yeah. No, you definitely don't. Dude. <laughs> oh, Nick. That was a uh, great answer to that question. And I know you got to meet Josh as well um, up in Alaska in, in 2012, no, 2013, I think. And I, I have a photograph of you guys doing yoga out on the mayor's lawn and just, uh, you know, I have a lot of beautiful memories from that trip. And I do think back on a lot of these wonderful times that we shared together and I, I still listen to his music and and sometimes what I'll do is I'll go back and I'll try to learn the guitar parts that he would write because he had he was a very intricate guitar player and um and so really a few classically of, uh, I've learned, very classically trained right like classic guitar right, so yeah he uh you know he started uh, like i said he was the one who taught me seven nation army when i was a junior in high school and uh but then after high school he went to college for music composition and so there he learned classical guitar and and composition and he would talk to me about the different uh, modes that you could write in and the different keys and and these different techniques that he would use to train his hands so 
he would write incredibly complex, intricate classical guitar parts. And, and you can hear that in some of the Wasteland Hop songs that we've done. And, and he played on stage with us in those tours. And, and I'm really glad for, for all that we shared together. And, and he definitely lives on in my heart. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yep, he was fucking awesome. Josh was fucking awesome. Um, all right, well, we're gonna, we'll cruise on to question number two here. And that is, uh, so flow state, you mentioned flow state already. You, you know what it is. Big uh, fan. Yeah, big fan, right? It's, it's the zone. It's, it's that space or time sort of evaporates. You totally dial into what you're doing. Um, what would you say is a highlight standout flow state moment of your life? I'll, I'll say real quick, um, if anybody doesn't have two kids under two, enjoy your ability to get into flow state with 0% chance that a child just starts screaming in another room. Um, because <laughs> that's a real possibility for, for me at any time. I mean, I could right now I could hear my two-year-old start screaming and I would have to decide, should I, should I ask Taylor to stop the podcast? Um, so, so I, I do think that it's so nice to be able to have some time where you're just dedicated to your art and there's, there's not a large risk of interruption. That's, that's a beautiful thing for increasing flow state. Um, as far as a flow state moment that has really stuck with me, I mean, I think about on tour, certainly uh, playing live shows and doing some of that improvisational stuff. There's something about music as well. We've talked about the different qualities of different art forms. Um, being there with, with five of the other musicians as I've been with in Wasteland and the ability to bounce off of all of them and the audience all at once. Um, you know, when the crowd is into it, when the sound is good and these people who you've been playing with for years uh, are with you on stage and you're just feeling it and it's sounding good. I mean, that's some of the memorable flow states and you know a lot of that is just lost to time it is live art and i'm glad for sharing it then when it was and sharing with the people there um with ableton too uh you know i've got it pretty set up so that i've got the bass guitar right there i've got the electric guitar i've got my midi keyboard i've got my microphone so you know part of getting into flow state is just enabling yourself uh to not have impediments to get there um, and i think my home studio is at that point now um, you know, I would just say there's, there's probably hundreds of times that me and Josh or Steph or Brian and Mickey and Adam and Liz and Chad have been in various moments where we're just, you know, we're at practice or we're on stage or we're recording. Um, but yeah, there's a, I guess, you know, kind of this inflection point in my life was probably 20, 2010, I had graduated college and uh, Josh was had a home studio in his parents' basement and I would go over there and we would write a song and record it and produce it in a day. And so we would just, it was Wednesday, Josh wasn't working at FedEx that day. I would come over and um, I think it was actually UPS. Um, and it was just so easy to get into this place where we just start throwing stuff at the wall and before we know it, we'd have a song. Um, so I don't think that was a very specific answer, but I will just say there's there's no better feeling than when you just lose track of time and you feel like the art almost becomes an extension of yourself. 
<laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly an extension of yourself like you are the art it's like flowing that's awesome a lot of times it feels like you've kind of caught this little thread from the universe so you know sometimes you'll just like you'll just catch something and it might be an idea or it might be a riff and you you know it's almost like catching a fish on the line and if you hold on to the thread and you keep pulling it it can just keep coming out, but you need to be there and you need to keep that presence for it. Um, and if you if you don't, then it'll just always be this little thread. But if you keep pulling on it, you can have, you know, a tapestry by the time you're done. Totally. I'm visualizing uh, the game of Jenga, how at first it's this tower and you're like, there's no way that's going to like double in height. But then you start tapping on like bricks and then all of a sudden one kind of moves. You're like, oh, okay, that works. And then you move that one to the top and then the next person goes. And then little by little, it just like sort of extends itself out. And, and you didn't think to do any of that like consciously necessarily, but it's like one thing led to another, led to another. And before you know it, it's this like whole other creation. And I will say like Jenga, you know, if you just, you tap one and it, it's not loose and you tap another one and it's not loose and you tap another one and it's not loose. You could get frustrated and just pull on that one, the third one that wasn't loose, but then you're probably going to lose Jenga. And, um, you know, it can be like that with art too, where you just try something. Sometimes you're not in flow. It's like, oh, that's not working. Oh, let's try this. Oh, that's not working. But eventually if you keep tapping on the blocks, you're going to find the one that's loose and then you're going to be able to keep building the tower up. And it, part of creativity and part of being a good artist, I think, is persevering through all the mistakes, all the misfires. You need to sometimes uh, write nine bad parts before you can write the one perfect, great part that you love. Totally. And to continue on the Jenga metaphor, it's like, I think sometimes one could get frustrated about, you know, one, two, three, four, five blocks not working because last game you played the first block moved, you know? So, and I think that's part of why like a sophomore slump can happen or that sort of a thing where it's like, well, last time it worked so easily here at the first block, but now I've gone through four blocks and it hasn't worked at all. Like what the hell's going on here? Do I not have it anymore? Should I quit? Is it messed up? So it's like, um, like it's almost like a connection to what has worked in the past is like a little bit of a curse in, in staying present. And but if you just keep on tapping, those blocks will move. Well, and with Jenga, it's not very attached to our ego uh, because we are not like, oh, this block isn't working because of me. But when you're an artist, it is attached to your ego and you think, oh, I suck at writing riffs or I'm not a good painter or I'm not a good dancer or whatever it is. But if we could pivot, I really think that I'd rather do some scattergory metaphors for art, if you don't mind, because that's, I've got a lot of good category metaphors that I'd love to drop on. I'd love to drop some knowledge on some folks. Maybe that'll be in part two. We got to move on. <laughs> Wait, you want to do some categories metaphors? <laughs> I don't actually have any categories. Okay, cool. I don't either. Uh, all right. All right. Next question. Question three, Mr. Shides. Um, if you were to give one piece of advice to aspiring creatives, what would it be? Creatives of all backgrounds, all walks of life. Just keep tapping. Keep tapping on those Jenga blocks. <laughs> what about, can you talk in categories, metaphors? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, 
That's a that's a broad question. I have maybe specific advice for people in different things. I think, um, you know, follow your heart, be true to yourself. Uh, be, you know, I guess be present with between the art and yourself and the universe and yourself. I wouldn't worry too much about the audience. You know, um, I've I've had music producers who've said, well, don't put this this long intro to the song uh, because that's not really the way people listen to music now. That's not really um, what consumers are looking for. Uh, while I think that's important, I know as a listener, I appreciate people who really, really follow their art. Um, so I would say don't get too caught up in the trap of what people want or what are what they're looking for. Um, you know, I guess I would just say enjoy it. I think that I think that I guess art is hard work too. I think that it's 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 good to find the joy and the enjoyment in art. If you can have fun while doing it, that's a really good sign, but it's not always fun. And, um, you know, there've been times because I think as an artist, I've, I've wanted, I it is a hobby of mine. It's something that I enjoy and I, I love it. And I I think it's fun. It's like a game almost to me. And yet there's aspects of it that are really hard. So like sometimes writing a song or getting creative or laying down some tracks, that's like a game and that's fun. But then that gets you 95% of the way there. But then the last 4%, which is mixing that song, um, well, that can be really hard. And you have to make some tough decisions where it's like, well, I need to, I need to go back and get this perfect. And you have to be incredibly diligent and you, it's monotonous. And, and to master the song is monotonous and it's technical. And so I guess I would say never lose the joy and the fun of it, but also acknowledge that sometimes it is hard work and sometimes it's technical and sometimes it's a slog. And probably every great artist who's ever made a great art has both loved it in the moment and also loathed it and been and been uh, ready to throw in the towel, but persevered through. Dude, nice. Yep, yep. One of my good artist friends, Anna Parker, who's been on the podcast before, she always says that, uh, let's see, 90% of the project is in the last 10%. And it's like, there's just so much energy. And, and maybe that's just like the perception of the reality of it. Like the first, like 90% of it goes by in that fun zone that you're talking about. And then that last 10% is like, it's like time slows down and you're like, not in a good way, but in a slow way where you're just slogging through. Yeah. And unfortunately I have to confess that uh, the vast majority of the songs that I've written are in that 10% stage right now. <laughs> uh, where they're just they're just waiting in the wings waiting for me to be ready to devote the time to get get through the slog and make them uh you know help realize their potential totally well it's funny because sometimes like what you perceive as is going to be the slog is actually like you can get into flow state with it so like for example i just stacked up 14 episodes like i was telling you that i just published 14 episodes today of the podcast and a bunch of them were in the final stages where I had to write the content for each one 
I had already recorded them, edited them, done the visual element, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just this last part that was just like slow, slow, slow in my mind. But then when I sat down to do it, I just got into a flow and I did one and I did another and did another. And then before I know it, like three hours has gone by and I'm done with everything and everything's all dialed in and everything's published. And so it's like, part of that is almost like a perception of the nature of that reality. Like we think it's a slog, but if we get into it and just lose ourselves in the, in the fun of the technicality, then then it, it can go by or seem to go by faster. It's like a lot of these, these elements are almost like a perception of the reality of it. Absolutely. And uh, I, I see that all the time with myself where I get worked up about the idea of something and how daunting it seems to be. And then sometimes I'll tackle it and it takes me a very small amount of time. And I'll be like, well, that was very silly because I spent more time worried about it than doing it. Uh, so, you know, there's a there's an expression which is eat the frog. And that's an unpleasant thing to consider. But basically, if the idea is every day you have to eat a frog, that's the do the unpleasant thing, do the thing you're not looking forward to. If you just eat the frog first thing in the morning, you don't have to worry about frogs all day. If you put off eating the frog until 11 o'clock at night, you might think about eating the frog all day and it might stop you from enjoying yourself or it might stop you from getting other stuff done. So, I mean, I think that's probably good advice for me on those dozens of songs that I have waiting in the wings is just get it done. Just uh, do that last little bit of hard work and it might not be as much work as you think. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, if you hold off till 11 p.m., then you're basically in your mind eating the frog all day long. Whereas if you eat it at seven in the morning, you eat it once and then you don't have to think about it again. Ain't that nice? Wow. I like that. Eat the frog, everybody. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Million dollar question for you. You know what it is. What's your definition of art? You know, I think art is when a person perceives some truth or beauty in the world, and then they go about turning that into action. And that can be a painter putting a, a you know, paint to the canvas. It can be a musician, um, but there is some truth or beauty out there in the world and it is received or interpreted by a, an individual or a group of people. And it's kind of like this beam of light that goes through, you know, if you think of each of us as a prism, it goes through us and it's refracted in these totally unique ways. So we might receive the same universal truth that Bach received or that Beethoven received or that Da Vinci received, but we are the first instance of ourselves and we're the first prism exactly like us and so you know as an artist you take that in as purely as you can and you refract it through yourself as purely as you can and uh, what what results is something that is true and beautiful but also imbued with this individual self this individual soul and I think that's what art is yeah I like the prism element. <laughs> Pink Floyd. 
dark side. <laughs> That's right. But it's cool because every prism can sort of turn itself at a different angle. Every prism is cut a different way. They're going to reflect the light, refract the light differently and um, break it up in a new way that's never existed before. Yeah, I would say that's that's very true that it's not like there's one way for you to interpret that truth. You could rotate yourself a single degree or 180 degrees and it would be refracted differently through the same prism. Yeah, that's very good addition to the metaphor and back to the metaphor before about adding different variables of time space and all these different things like your prism is not in a vacuum it's in a three-dimensional reality that exists in a course of history with a certain geographic location with socio-political artistic like atmospheres of all different things so every prism is like naturally is automatically going to be like a unique refraction. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And when you think about it in terms of categories, I mean, you draw a card in categories, right? It could have any number of words on it. Okay, I'm just going to stop now. Yeah, no, I think I think we should stop there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it in terms of Jenga, <laughs> back back to the bricks. Uh, nice, nice. Well. Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. I uh, This is great. It's been fun getting all the Wasteland hoppers on here. Liz is still uh, on my hit list here. But That's right. you and I have been on some adventures, my friend. And and we didn't say this, but you're, you're the baby of Wasteland Hop. Like, I don't, were you even 21 on the first tour? I was 22. You were 22. Okay, but you, you were just like a fresh face on the tour and we're exposing you to many new experiences and uh and now you're a father you've you've like grown into this uh awesome human being and i've, I've gotten to witness a lot of it and it's been it's been awesome you're a good man and well i appreciate that and yeah it's, it's been a beautiful journey i i might not have seen myself as a baby then but when i look back on it now it's like it was very early on in, in my journey. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for better uh, stewards for at least part of the journey than, than you and the Wasteland Hop crew. You guys are all like family to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's more to come. The Wasteland Hop show extravaganza is not done. Well, yeah. So I, and I didn't really share this, but a couple of years ago when I, you know, my wife was pregnant with her first kid, uh, with our first kid, um, I, you know, Wasteland had been planning these big tours in the summer and we've, we've conventionally done several weeks of touring a year, you know, probably six plus weeks of touring a year. And between my job and having kids, I just wasn't sure if that was still feasible. So I kind of was like, hey, do you guys want to, you know, kind of get another guitarist, somebody to replace me a bit so that you can still do the awesome stuff that you're doing and I don't have to hold things back. And so that's when Chad came aboard and, and they're planning stuff in Alaska that I'm probably not going to be able to join this summer. Uh, but it's great because I feel like they get to keep carrying that torch while I am, you know, uh, kind of in this new chapter. Uh, I'm certainly still involved and I get to contribute and I'm, I'm happy about that. But, uh, but yeah, this summer, um, I, I asked before the podcast, we can announce it. We're going to play a show at the Mishawaka Amphitheater in 
Colorado with Flowbots and the uh, uh, the Burrows, which is an amazing group uh, out of Denver. And Flowbots, of course, uh, nationally known act, uh, most famous, I think, for the Handlebar song, which I, I still love that song. Yep. So, um, so yeah, we got some sweet shows coming up, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to play for it or if it's going to be Chad and the rest of them. Um, but I'm I'm so glad that that torch is still burning. I, as I'm sure many people can relate to being a musician the last year has been a very different uh, creature, um, but it sounds like this summer there's going to be some live shows, and um, I'm glad Wasteland's getting the the honor of being on such a great bill at a legendary venue like the Mishawaka up uh, north of Fort Collins on the Poudre River. Totally, totally. Um, where, if people want to chat with you or connect with you, where can they connect with you? So my... Uh, my address is, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I live up in the mountains in Colorado. I'm in Rollinsville, Colorado. Um, I'm not too active online right now. I'm hoping that will change with not working full time. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook. Look for Nick Scheides, uh, S-C-H-E-I-D-I-E-S. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Nicholas Alexander 49 I have, I, you encouraged me. I tried to get going with Instagram. Maybe I'll start up again. I have not done it. Um, you can Google search for Wasteland Hop. They're on all the socials. Um, wastelandhop.com is another way to find them. And uh, you can listen to our music on Spotify. And, uh, you know, I think those are probably the best ways. If you want to listen to some of my personal music, some of my works in progress, um, I do have a band camp. It's just my, it's for my works in progress and it's lamplightlamplight.bandcamp.com. So you can find uh, all of my kind of assorted uh, solo artist and music producer stuff there. Love well, not that. all of it. You can find a fraction of it there. Dude, that's awesome. I feel like people that are, that are going to be into this are really, really going to like that. Oh, good. Um, Okay, cool. So this is the end of part one. And to finish off part one, we would like it if you gave us one more little bit of wisdom. Well, I would like that too. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Aristotle. It's, uh, you are what you repeatedly do. Character is action. So I think there's two things there. I think the power of habit is huge. Um, and a lot of people think habit is about willpower, but it's a, the people who are best at seeming like they have a bunch of willpower and have great habits, they make it easy on themselves. So if you wanna run every morning, put your running shoes and your outfit out the night before and you wake up and there's your running shoes. And it's really easy to do that. If you wanna do music production, you know, set an alarm on your phone or, block it out on your calendar, make it easy to do the habits because, you know, as Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Um, the other aspect of it is that character is action. So I think a lot of us have values. A lot of us have ideas about who we are, but uh, make sure that you're acting on that. And that's not always easy. It, it's one thing to hold a strong opinion um, or to know that you're right, but how are you acting on it? Because um, I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. And so um, doing the hard work of acting on it is important. And, uh, and I guess that's just kind of 
you know, our works in this world are, are going to be our legacy. Those are the ripples that are going to last much longer than us. Beautiful. Love it. Again, this podcast is brought to you by High Ground Coffee, an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. And we're back. All right. So now, Nick, it appears that we are in your recording studio. Now, people aren't going to be able to visually see this, but why don't you describe what you're showing me on the screen? Because it looks pretty badass. Yeah, I've got a, I've got my little workstation with my, um, you know, a nice monitor and computer and recording uh, interface and my keyboards and my speakers and my guitars and my pedals and my amps and microphones. So the I've kind of got it like all centralized now. What's that? The speakers look like they would bump pretty good. <laughs> oh, they bump all right. But uh, more importantly, they're really well balanced and, uh, and they're really good for mixing on. So since I got them just last year, I've really been enjoying mixing some of my songs and getting them to closer to that state of finalization that we talked about and you know it's just been the realization of a long time because for years through my 20s you know I was cobbling together recording equipment for as little money as possible and it would be changing rooms you know I'd go from one place to the next and it was always setting up and tearing down and and working with the inadequacies of my equipment and you know that's part of the part of the benefits of growing up and, and, and some of the things I've done and, and saving money and all that, because I've been able to treat myself to a lot of really high quality gear. And, and I guess the challenge with that then is that, you know, I used to be able to say, oh, I'm a perfect artist. I'm, a, I'm ready to be big. I just, I need a better set of monitors to mix on, or I need a better guitar, or I need this pedal. And, and now I just have to have to face that it's all me you know it's up to me as an artist to make it happen because I've, I've been able to give myself the tools love it love it <laughs> and i see that you uh have a guitar in your hand are you gonna well, i do play us a little you, ditty at some point yeah whenever you want you you had mentioned that you might be interested in that so on our little break i i started tuning and i i should make sure that it's that it is tuned but um here. You know, it's funny, one of my favorite things, and maybe this because I'm not a musician, and maybe musicians would feel the complete opposite, but one of my favorite things is watching or hearing somebody tune their instrument. It's like such a cool, it's so cool to watch somebody who's like good and proficient or, you know, at varying high levels of, of execution with a tool, any tool really. And, and an instrument is so nice, especially because when you're like tuning it, you get to hear like, kind of like the tinkering element. Yeah, there's, a, there's an aspect in which every artist is a technician. And I think that the best artists can disguise that very well, where it feels so natural that there doesn't seem to be a technical component. And as you get to be a, a you know, a world famous musician, 
you don't almost need to be the technician because you can have roadies handling that aspect. But, um, you know, it's really important to, to understand that. I do think, I wonder if, if everybody enjoys seeing that technical aspect of it, or if some people who maybe aren't artists would rather, rather just continue to be this effortless kind of almost fantasy, uh, but I'm glad that you appreciate the sound of me tuning. I don't think it's exactly music to most folks' ears. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because like I am an artist and I know, I know the intricacy of what it's like to arrange my paintbrushes and my paints so that I'm gonna be able to paint well or you know efficiently or whatever. Have my setup dialed in. It's it's the kind of it's kind of the same thing. And I've done construction uh, for like years of my life and you know, those are like tools of a different type. And, and, but it's still a similar thing, like watching someone who's really good at what they do when they're like pouring concrete or something like that. It's, it's, it's just different ways of seeing awesomeness laid out. Um, so there's like, there's a couple of things that I was hoping you would do. One is if you would play a little tune. And then the other thing that you and I were talking about is the podcast that you turned me on to is Song Exploder. And we were going to song explode one of Wasteland Hop's tracks, which is The Curse, which is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Of all, like top five songs, I would put that on there. That's, that's one of my favorites. And I've listened to a lot of music, Nick. Well, that's very generous. Uh, I, I don't know if we are going to song explode it quite. I, I would be up for doing that um, if we can find all the, you know, what song exploder does. Well, we don't need to like technically song explode it, but you can <laughs> okay. like sort of just walk us through what happened. Song exploder light. Yeah, I mean, uh, that started with, I mean, I can play the... that's uh, you know at least half of the kind of the main part of it and that was something that I, I came up with probably on my own just noodling on guitar and maybe influenced by another riff that I was learning at the time I, I don't quite remember this was probably 2014 and you know when you're in a band that's what's so fun is you can you can write a riff like that and and bring it to everybody else and and brian wrote this amazing bass part and adam wrote a really chill beat and then some uh, really heavy beat and uh you know mickey started writing to it steph started writing to it uh liz started writing to it and it became this song that um you know i'd love for us to play and share with people or at least play part of um uh, as far as other stages in it, I mean, I think we did it while recording. Um, it all came really quick and naturally. I think it was actually, we were up in Talkeetna, Alaska, and I remember us doing a sound check. And sometimes when you're on the road, the only time you have to practice new material is during the sound check. So it's just, you're all up on, their, on stage just needing to make noise for the sound engineer and might as well play the song you're working on. So I remember us kind of developing it up on tour, I think. And then we got this opportunity through an organization called Spokesbuzz in Fort Collins to record at the Blasting Room where I believe Rise Against has recorded. They have all these gold records on the wall. Great recording studio in Fort Collins. And we decided to do The Curse. And I remember a week or so before, or a couple weeks before we were gonna record, I 
was like, hey, I wrote this other part to it um, that I think we should add. And there was definitely a moment with the band where we were trying to decide, basically there was one side that was, hey, it's not broke, we don't need to fix it. Um, let's just let the song be. And then ultimately I really felt strongly about it. And I said, hey, can we spend some time at our limited practice time with the six of us and really try to make this kind of bridge part work? And so, about halfway through the song, there's a, a different part that comes that's a little bit heavier and kind of um, where I would say the change happens in the song. You, you think about it from a storytelling perspective and a story is not very interesting unless there's some sort of change that happens to the characters. And I think it's kind of true in a song. If a song stays in the same place, it's not as interesting of a song as if it changes. And um, you know, Mickey's verse and the and Adam's musical performance, everybody, it felt like this change took place. So ultimately, uh, you know, that was one of those moments with the band. I was able to convince them, hey, let's add this part. Let's make this song more complex. And that's kind of the bridge of the song. And uh, yeah, we could play it for folks and they could hear it and, and see what they think. Totally. And that's the part where I'm guessing where Mickey says, like, the birth of my relic is a relic of my birth. And then Adam starts going into a quicker thing. I think that's what comes right after it. Yeah, well, exactly. Like that felt powerful. And so the part preceding that is kind of, um, you know, an instrumental version oh, of yeah. that change taking place. And that maybe maybe Liz comes in with the like otherworldly, like Scottish Highlands type, like violin element. Yeah, I think you're thinking of the right part then. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna insert the track right now so that everybody can hear it. Take a walk down our memory lane Remember the day when the temperature changed Inner social contract we construct with our contact When we touch each other cause we reach beyond maps Reach into our inner selves, easy to act Crabby when you live within the shell of your former self Cutting corners help, so we think no one else ever blinks Know that self, that's a thing That you wanna leave with Little bit of wisdom that you can recede with Into the light, into the dark Within this life, there's only one heart Pumping blood through your circulatory Crimson kinship is our circular story we're a part of the same pattern The brain in you, the flame in me To the rings of Saturn Matter of fact Casket we packed With the shadows we've dragged Across the planet and back Ironic Cause we inhabit a trap Can't fathom the fact that This is a last dance, last chance To make a home of nature So I dwell in the swells of this nomenclature we're all just people in space Trying to figure out if there's a sequel To the place our bodies material mind Ethereal, our names and an illusion And it disappears well I peer to the well, call my own thirst Only fear is being a relic of my own bird The curves of the universe and sky Is the same as yours and mine Is the same as yours and mine
my belly is the year my birth developed from the well that was all pure in the nerd thirst to disappear appeared in the theory of minds material bodies vanished candid beings are hard to find the place a sequel for the figures invigorated in the shape of people inundated with rhythms of language nomenclature made us alone in nature so now we dance in this land of semantics where night is nothing but the shadow of the planet days made of past light trapped in this casket the massive kinship we feel This passion of our crimson, it has to be real Blood is made of these circular stories So inhale and exhale the cycle is circulatory Heart is dawn, circuitry of the morning Surface of the earth is worth absorbing We were born in the blink of an eye From a dormant storm seated in the sky Absorb the form, seem to deny That we're adorned in skin without a reason why Draft these maps and contracts Greet the social symbols Cause we need the contact Beyond that echoes Forever remain Embedded in our body Settled into a frame We were born in that temperature change When the energy came Dismembered the clay Let us remember the day As we took a walk down our memory lane The curse of the universe and sky Is the same as yours and mine Is the same as yours and mine the curse of the, the universe and sky is the same as yours and mine. Is the same as yours and mine. The curse of the, the universe and sky is the same as yours and mine. Is the same as yours and yeah very nice very nice i mean that's like i feel like that song is so well balanced it's like this giant it's this big arc it starts out with that guitar riff and it ends with it but it does this like huge arc and like blast off into the atmosphere at a certain point and then at a certain point you're like out of the earth's atmosphere and it's totally rocking out in like a whole different frequency and then you come back and uh it's awesome yeah i think that the contrast is so powerful i mean something that talks that they talk about in that zen in the art of mixing book is everybody wants a song that sounds loud but if you just make a song loud from start to finish, it's it's not loud. It's kind of like if you make a, a painting that's all bright and light, then there's it doesn't actually look as bright because there's no darkness to amplify the light. And, and that song does a good job of going from extremes. So there's the extremely heavy to the, um, you know, it gets really quiet and kind of tender there with just bass and some very, some light drums from Adam and Brian. And, and and Mickey kind of getting more intimate with his lyrics. And so I really like the range that song shows. And, um, you know, I'm glad they added that, that the band agreed to add that instrumental part in the middle, because I think it does kind of, it has it voyage away to return back to where it came. Well, and, and there's the instrumental, there's where I think it's like Liz and maybe on the violin with Brian, and maybe you are doing this like, cool i don't know what the fuck it is it's like this amazing harmonic beautiful like i said it it sounds like the scottish highlander like ethereal like people playing like it, it reminds me of another time and place and then you kick right into this like blast off time where it almost reminds me of all of us are being like 
we're strapped into a rocket and we're blasting off into space out of the atmosphere and it's like dun 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 and like holy shit hang on like we're hitting g-forces now and then and then you blast off and then it goes into this like real cool like driving beat where mickey comes in on this like rap element and we're like okay now we're in space and we're cool and it's ripping here <laughs> it's it's cool it's like all these audio elements like music is such a it's like a soundscape like you're in every second of a song you're in a different soundscape and and the scape is always evolving almost like a dream and that's one way that like as a visual artist as a painter who paints on two dimensions that don't change like I'm, I'm envious of music and then video also because they evolve through time in the same way that a dream, a dream does like in a dream you're in one moment you know i'm hanging out with you the next moment i'm hanging out with you but you're also my like cousin who and your your ears turned into like you know elephant ears and you turn purple and then the next second you're a chicken and then you're going off and you you know like it's all like evolving always um like totally like amorphous i guess is like a word it's like it's totally changing whereas like normal reality is more static yeah and i mean i will say even compared to video because I, I do video production too but when you're watching a video, you're usually consciously focused on it. And then with audio, I think it is more dreamlike if you're just listening to music, because you can be doing, you can be focused your visual brain on something else, but um, kind of taking in this song and it's, it's almost just, um, you know, the soundtrack to your life. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad it takes you on that journey. Uh, I, I love the song and I, I love that hook that uh, Stephanie and Mickey wrote the the curse of the universe and sky is the same as yours and mine. Um, you know, it's about the connectedness, I think, that we all feel. It kind of takes a dark take on that connectedness, which I think is part of what makes it powerful, that that there's a curse that we all share. It's it's kind of like the there is a connectedness with everyone, but it, it's not all good. And um, and I think that's real. And I just, I love it when um, when music can can make me want to move and and I, I rock out to it but then I also really love the concepts at play and and uh, you know Stephanie and Mickey have written some lyrics that I really love I love playing both from the musical side and the conceptual side totally totally um, the uh, okay so this one thought that's coming up for me that maybe you can help me I don't know like unpack it is I've, I've noticed, okay, so with my minimal dive into Ableton, there's been this sort of obsession that I have with certain parts of songs where it'll happen occasionally where there's one element that is like a repeating thing. Like you could say the same word over and over and over again in the same tone, but then you can have a background sound that moves up and down through the scales and it'll make that repeating element seem like it changes even though it doesn't do you know what i'm talking about there does that make any sense yeah yeah i mean i think that you're talking about harmony and i think you're talking about contrast um absolutely you can have a song with a 
with the same note played every four beats and it could go all sorts of amazing places. And, and that song mostly just stays in the same place as far as the harmonic progression, the curse that we just listened to. And yet it does feel like it goes all over because there's different parts taking over the lead and um, throughout. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's part of what, uh, so the power in, in art in music is contrast but then there also has to be repetition too. So it's like this constant duality. It's almost like the yin and yang um, where there's, you have to have, you have to establish some sort of similarity so that people can have a thread that they're connected to. But then you also have to modify that in order for it to develop and for it to be interesting. So I think that, you know, what you're talking about is very, uh, is very evident in music and and a lot of great songs are based off of a single loop that's repeating almost the entire time. Yeah, okay, I love it. Um, how are you feeling on being ready to play a little tune? Are you, are you are you feeling good? Let me let me double check that tuning for the tune. Should I talk some more? Should I just like babble a little bit more? Why don't you babble while I'm muted for just a second? Say what's on the top of your head. Okay, cool. Um, well, what's off the top of my head is, well, it's cool. I mean, if I'm being totally present, which is kind of an interesting thing to try to do is like be as present as possible and just go with what you're looking at and seeing. You can go off like total visual and the visuals of a guitar are so beautiful. Like, it's put together so perfectly. You got the straight, perfect lines of the strings and then the nice curves of the shape of the guitar. And like, it's a, and then you got the little circle that is the hole in the guitar that makes all the music resonate and everything. And um, it's pretty cool. And I, I've painted so many guitars cause I've painted so many images of musicians and guitarists and it's, uh, it's just so neat and then the way that the light falls on them and then some of the strings are thicker and then they get skinnier as they go down you know into like the higher note octaves or however that works i don't know i'm not a guitarist but it's it's funny because like i know the guitar so well visually but i don't know it at all in terms of like the actual audio acoustic element it looks like nick's about ready did you unmute yourself I just did. Oh man. So I'm gonna use a little loop pedal that I have that allows me to play parts on top of one another. So this is just a little instrumental song I've been working on. And uh, yeah, here it goes. What's your, uh, what's your inspiration here? Well, I actually, I said it's an instrumental song. I do have some kind of songs about it and it's, uh, it's called Not Well Adjusted. Uh, I have some lyrics about it that is. And um, it's basically, there's some quote I heard, I don't know who said it, it says, it's no measure of good health to be not well adjusted to a, uh, it's no measure of good health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So I think a lot of us wanna be well adjusted, but if, what are we adjusted to? If what we're adjusted to isn't healthy, then our adjustment isn't gonna be healthy. And part of what I really admired about my friend Josh who passed away was that he, kind of raged against society. He, um, he didn't, he wasn't good with it. He wasn't cool with the status quo. And, um, you know, maybe that was part of what, um, 
drove him to 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 his demise but I really admired that he was not well adjusted um, in a way because it was a principled stand against being well adjusted. Um, so that's kind of what this is about. And I, I wrote it about six months after he died. And, um, you know, then it was also kind of a dream of ours to use loop pedals. We were both excited about the possibility of of using loop technology to make our music together more ornate and complex. So um, I think I wrote this definitely as an ode to him and also as an ode to everybody who is kind of bucking the trends of society and not just swallowing hook, line, and sinker what the Joneses next door are aspiring for. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I definitely uh, fudged it a little bit, but I guess that's the live music experience for you. <laughs> that was nice. That was really nice. I like it. Yeah, it's cool that you can feel the, like the classical guitar uh, in your influence. Right. Uh, you know, like I said, my mom played classical guitar and then Josh went to school for classical guitar. And, and so I love the nylon strings. I love the, the wider fretboard and just kind of, um, you know, what that evokes. Every instrument kind of comes with its own little flavor. And, um, you know, in, in Wasteland Hop, I played a lot of electric guitar, but when I would come home, a lot of times I played acoustic guitar. And so that's still just a, a big part of who I am as a musician but I still have an electric guitar sitting next to me and, and I'm never gonna, you know, that's part of what's great is you get to choose all the different paintbrushes as, as it were. Yeah, I like it. In terms of uh, music producing, like let's say, I don't know, let's say your life could go professionally in whatever way you want. Let's say it goes in a music producing direction. What, what would your ideal vision of that look like? Well, you know, my focus right now really is on my family. So there's nothing more important to me than, than raising some good kids and, and focusing on that. So 
I guess I would say in the short term, you know, I want to keep developing my skills. I want to get really dialed in with that. Um, I want to work with some artists who I really feel, um, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a position that's, that's fairly divorced from trying to make money off of art. I think that's a nice position to be in if you can. Um, but uh, basically I would say, I just want to make the best music that I can. I don't know. I'm not, I, the way I tend to think about it, I'm not too focused on external goals. I don't want to uh, work with a specific artist or have a specific amount of success. I just want to make really great music that I love, that I think is awesome, that I think is true, that I think is beautiful. And, and that's my metric of success. So I think I'm, I'm doing that at home by myself. And I want to just keep pushing myself as an individual artist to try to master my craft and make something that's undeniably great. Uh, and then I also want to work with more artists. You know, music is an incredibly collaborative medium. Unlike novel writing, for instance, it, it tends to be best when we mix up. So, uh, you know, I've got some local artists up here in the mountains in Colorado who I really uh, admire and, and have worked with and want to keep working with. And then you know, continuing to work with Wasteland Hop, uh, continuing to work with a, an amazing community of musicians in Fort Collins. But, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to, to really um, keep making music that I, I think is holds to a high standard to work with artists who I think have a lot of integrity as artists and as people and who I just find a joy to work with. And then something else I'd like to do is, is to combine other form of arts. You know, we talked about all the different modalities and how they each have their advantages. Something we've done a little bit in the past was, you know, we did that video with you and a, a Stella Luce song where I recorded you doing that artwork in Anchorage, Alaska, and I time-lapsed it. And then I added a Stella Luce track. Like, I think that different art forms are complementary. So if a band has a great song, wouldn't it be awesome to, to add a great visual artist's um, work to that and try to marry them into something that's, that's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, so it's, it was someone with a visual design background and with a, with a videography background, I would love to continue to kind of meld these different art forms together and connect artists. So if, if one painter has, 10,000 fans and one band has 10,000 fans make something together and maybe there'll be some cross-pollination between the between the communities of people who really adore what they're doing so I don't know I, I don't put a ton of weight on it I just want to um, you know the only weight I put on it is I want to make great art I want to make music that I love that I think other people will love and um, and and stay kind of true to myself and to the truth and that I find in the world. I like that. I like all of that. The word that just keeps coming to mind as you're saying that is the word maven. And I don't know if you've read the Malcolm Gladwell book about, I think it's called, uh, shit, I don't know which one it is. It's about trends and how trends are uh, passed along. Is it the tipping point? It's the tipping point. Yep, totally. And there's basically like, there's normal people and then there's connectors and then there's mavens and the connectors are connected to lots of people and have a strong uh, like flow to that or like weight to their connections. And then mavens are the ones that dive really deep and 
I feel like the way that you're you're describing everything, the way that you think about art and music is in sort of a maven sense of like art for art's sake. This is how it should be done so that it's like like bringing it to fruition the way that it deserves to be brought. Not because, you know, like what you said earlier, not because of this is how people like to listen to music right now or whatever. Because um, that's sort of like, you're just like following the trend if that's the case like you're like if you're thinking about like the way that the wind's blowing the grass you know like that's like chasing the tops trying to like locate the top of the grass but the grass is always going to be moving what you want to do is get to the like the root of it and that's like that's where you're gonna like find the essence of the art yeah i would say that's kind of where i'm at in this stage in life and i'm i'm excited about it and uh Hopefully I can be a good maven and, and bring some other beautiful artists um, potential to realization. And, you know, I think I'd like to be more of a connector too. I'm just, um, I'm kind of thinking about dipping my toes back into the water of, of social media and, and an online presence and, and trying to get back into that world too. But yeah, I think it's really a privilege and I, I feel fortunate uh, to be in a spot where I can kind of really just do art for art's sake and and that's what i'm looking forward to in between you know naps and feedings and dirty diapers and stuff like that yeah man throw up on the floor and shit <laughs> that hasn't happened yet but now that you said it it'll probably happen tomorrow. oh definitely <laughs> well it's really cool i mean what you're what you're experiencing right now is a reset in a lot of ways and i mean for the world covid as many problems as it's brought and as big a challenge, like let's not forget about all the, the terrible things about it. But um, one of the silver linings is that it's really been like a reset button for a lot of people. Like the way that we are living, we don't necessarily need to just do those things because that's the way that things have been done before. Like we can ask ourselves, like, what do we want to do and how do we want to like reset and rebuild our lives in a new way going forward? And you're kind of like, doing that on multiple levels like with the world and then personally too yeah i think it has been an, an invitation to reconsider everything and i will say you know as somebody whose job could go remote i was able to work remotely and i did for a year i felt kind of like you know what am i doing giving up a job when a lot of people would would you know love to have a job like this um, so it was a very tough decision and in a way covid made it more acute what I was giving up. Um, but in another way, COVID made it more acute what I was missing out on because I could have just been in the office and not seeing my kids at all and ignoring them. But instead I was at home working from my, you know, working from a room in my home and, you know, hearing what I was missing out on, hearing, you know, that he was going outside and playing in the sun or, or that he was crying and needed some support. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that it has been a time of internal reflection and, you know, get down to the basics of what really is most important. And, and like I said, I think before, for me, it's it's my family, it's it's my art, and then it's also advocacy in the world for things I think are important uh, to make the world a better place. Totally. Nice. Well, it's neat because I think a lot of people in maybe like an older paradigm um, have thought, okay, well, well, I'm going to like put in, I'm going to basically give up my time and energy now 
And then in the future, I will appreciate and spend my family and I'll spend time with my family or I'll give up this and that so that later I can do this and that. But it's like the millennial viewpoint. And, you know, I mean, your sounds like your dad was a millennial. Um, it like, it turns it on its head. It's like, no, actually, like, let's think about what's most important and let's put all our energy towards that now. Not giving, I mean, you're not giving up like the, the stability, you know, like you've got your ducks in a row, but it's like, what is important right now? Let's do that. And then, and then let's like move forward and then do it again and think that way again. And it's cool. It's like, I think a lot of people kind of like put, put the reward off so long and like, fuck, you could die before you get the reward. Like, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I talked about the memento mori or just remember that you're going to die and, and think through that lens. I think that's what's part of what's motivating me to spend this time. If I worked for the next 20 years, I could have a great portfolio. I could have, you know, if you look at historically what the stock market has done, you know, my salary this year would, could double or triple or quadruple or 10x in size in the next 30 years. Or if we invest in real estate, that could be a, you know, a huge boon for us. But what my wife, Kari, and I have focused on is, is what really matters. And we've agreed that we don't need so much. Uh, you know, we are blessed with, with her career and her earning potential and all that, but uh, that's enough for us. And if we keep things a little simpler, whether that's fewer vacations or driving older cars or, you know, staying in this house that we bought three or four years ago and, and not upgrading to a nicer home, which is what we want to do. We want to just stay here and, and keep where we're at. Um, we think we can certainly give up some of that financial security, give up maybe some of the luxury, um, but we're getting something back that is maybe less quantifiable, but knowing that, um, you know, knowing that we're getting so much quality time with one another um, in this important time for our family's development. I mean, that's kind of a, what's more important in life than that. And, and you talk about creativity in life. I mean, that's the name of the podcast. Um, the ultimate act of creation, I think, is creating another human being. It, it's pretty hard to top that, though I would say there have been a few albums that have come close that I've listened to. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of like, uh, that's, that's our priority right now. And the more I center myself on that, the more it totally makes sense to me. So I'm psyched on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think going that direction, you can't go wrong. I mean, what is it like follow your heart and you're never really going to be like off track. It's like, it's that sentiment. Oh man. That reminds me of a lyric of Steph's. Ah, what is it? But basically follow your heart and you'll always, you'll always be able to eat. And maybe she paraphrased that from someone else, but um you know, my whole life I've been, I've certainly been blessed and I've had a lot of safety nets. You know, I had a stable family. So if everything failed with Wasteland Hop and all that, and I also had really cheap rent in Fort Collins. So I've just lived a very charmed life. Um, but I've just kind of always gone for it. And I've just always felt really lucky. And I think that, you know, part of that is a result of me just being a lucky person. And then part of it is also a result of me following my heart a lot. So um, 
so I, I've kind of put myself in a situation where I, I keep landing on my feet and uh, really thankful to the universe for that. Thankful to all the wonderful people who have supported me through it and, and uh, definitely looking forward to the next chapter. Hell yeah. Um, now you've listened to this podcast a whole bunch. Are there any things that you like, do you, do you have anything you want to talk about or any questions or anything like you want to throw out there? Well, I think this all started when I texted you because I said, hey, um, when I'm listening to a podcast of a musician, I really want to hear their music, you know, so I would listen to a podcast and you were talking to an artist who was a musician and you would spend an hour talking to them and I would still not know what their music sounded like. And I thought the format that you're in is audio. Music's format is audio. Put it, put it in there. You know, let me, let me hear this musician, maybe at the beginning, maybe at the end, but let me understand what they're doing. I know you interview visual artists and, um, you know, yoga instructors and athletes and these people who incorporate art in all sorts of ways um, and mead. And I can't drink the mead um, from the, from the fellow in the podcast, but I can listen to the music right there and then. So I said, Hey, when you interview a musician, put their music in the show and um and you said yes and why don't you join me for a show so that was my that was my one piece of feedback for you first of all um and that kind of set the ball in motion for us having this conversation tonight yeah yeah i love it and uh this is the first time this this episode is the first time to actually add a track into the show so that's gonna be fun um Cool. Saying that that's going to be fun because I'm going to edit it later, but actually yeah. when people are listening, it already happened, which yeah. is kind of a fun like play on how time and space are sort of moldable. I mean, we're in this era where we, I think when we talk about Ableton, we talk about what you're doing with the podcast. We have these powers that the artists of the past would be drooling over. I mean, just imagine you know, Michelangelo, if he could do what we can do with audios and visuals and all that, um, and we can do it, you know, and then we can distribute it, you know, even 30 years ago, it's like, oh, great, you could make a great radio show, you could make a great podcast, then you need to work through the radio companies and the publishing houses. And, you know, the internet has given us this amazing broadcasting medium. At the same time, the computer technology has given us the ability that, uh, you know, the greatest musical artists of the, the 1950s would have never fathomed having, you know, when you were just doing your Ableton course, you had dozens of audio tracks available to you. Well, that was something that the Beatles at the height of their success had to scrounge and, and put together multiple tape machines to try to get eight tracks or 12 tracks at once. That's something that's available to us with free software that we can download from the internet. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, what a time to be alive, what immense power. I think that that's part of the challenge too, is that there's so much capacity to do everything that you you really have to be your own focusing agent because the mediums of expression have become so broad and so powerful that instead of being limiting factors, you have to limit yourself and work within them. Yeah, and it's almost like, it be the the issue doesn't become like the whole it's not the setbacks it's like the overwhelm of too many options all around you all the time and then it's like and then there's almost like a 
a depression that you could go into if you're not succeeding because there is so much opportunity and then you see all these people crushing it in different ways and then you're like gosh why am I not doing that and uh yeah it's like it's just like overwhelming yep that's definitely nail on the head there and I've, I've been there on on all sides of that coin yeah yeah and so then you're it's ah, that's wild and then you're it's like a head game at that point of of creativity and then that's like the limiting factor so it's almost like okay all this technology has gone from like nothing to so much and has the general public like gone that much farther has everybody advanced that much I, I think they probably have like a lot of people have but then there's probably a lot of people who who are still kind of like held up on like stage one because of like now it's not that they can't do it or don't have access to it now it's that they have access to all these things and then they're like shit i'm just gonna sit here and scroll instagram instead yeah there's something powerful about limiting yourself and i know in art classes i took in high school and stuff it would be like do something within these very small criteria and that could be freeing to you sometimes to to say well i'm going to do this but i'm only going to do it these are the limitations I, i'm putting on it and i think that can be helpful i yeah certainly i've been paralyzed by the the plethora of options and also you know i get one idea that's achievable and then I'm like, well, if I'm doing that, then let's do this and let's do it weekly and let's publish it on this. And let's do, well, let's also do it on YouTube because that's a great video platform. And then before long, you've got this incredibly complex thing um, where it could also be very simple and focused and, and there's power to both approaches. Um, but I guess just maybe it's a good wisdom in this time of immense possibility and immense power to also um, to exert kind of the, the negative power of, of limitation and simplification and see how small you can make your art and how focused it can be. Yes. Yes, 100%. Dude, Nick, I think we should go out on that because that was really good. <laughs> Can't top that. No. I'm not going to say anything that's like anywhere near that smart. So I think we, we got to just call it. Sounds good. Oh, uh, Nick, this has been awesome, man. This has been a real treat. It's been a joy for me, Taylor. Yeah, man. Um, well, I think that's it, folks. Nick Shides. Thank you for listening. So that, my friends, was Nick Shides. What an awesome dude. What an awesome dude. That was a great conversation. And I actually wish that you guys could hear part three of that because we stopped recording and then we hung out and talked for another like 20 minutes and it just sort of like kept on flowing and it got to some really, really good stuff. And one thing that stood out that he said was that he was going back through some of his old like journals and old writing of songs and uh and there was this like beautiful wisdom to different things i mentioned how like um i mentioned something about oh yeah um paul and senior uh who i interview on a couple couple episodes before this on the, uh, the ground floor murals episode um they just had such awesome wisdom and they're so they're just like young kids I mean, they're not kids, they're like 22 and 26, 
but like there's so much wisdom that happens at like all these stages of life and then nick was saying that he was seeing this in all of his journals and there was some quote that was along the lines of as i get older i get farther and farther away from all these versions of myself that i've always been or that i've been but i'm still the same me and i guess his grandma said something along those lines to him where like she she gets older and she's been all these different people throughout her life but she's still the same person as she was when she was five and i think that we can all relate to that and that's the beauty of art is that if you make art throughout your life it's this like record of your thoughts your feelings your emotions your viewpoints your perspectives all these different things and uh it's really cool it's just like one of the really cool elements of being an artist throughout life so everybody just make art all the way through and it'll be awesome because <laughs> uh because it just fucking is <laughs> art is so awesome and and everyone's got wisdom from their own perspective and i think that's a nice thing for us to all remember about everybody else and, and ourselves and everything so yeah, I hope that this was inspiring to you. Again, I say this every time. I just want you guys to be inspired. And uh, because I am, I'm inspired by these conversations. I'm inspired by life and art and everything involved, every, like every aspect of it. And uh, that's what the whole reason of this podcast is, is to share that and showcase that. And man, season two is fun. I'm having a good time with it. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, I just published 14 episodes today, and this is number 15 for this season two. We are rocking and rolling, folks. Have you been able to listen to all of them? There's a bunch of good stuff. They're twice as long now. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's even better that way because then it gives you twice as much time to make your art and listen to a podcast while you do it, right? That's the idea. Well, anyway... This has been a nice fireside chat. It's definitely late. It's like 11 o'clock. This is a late recording session. A lot of these happen in the daytime, in like the morning. And I think they have like a morning vibe. But this one is evening. And there's definitely like a, a, an evening feeling to what's going on here. I like it. I hope you like it. If you don't like it, well, I don't know. I don't know. That's I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> oh, Taylor gets a little rambly at... 10 57 p.m that's for sure so anyway we're gonna end it right there sound good hey take care cheers <laughs>